Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome, citizens, to Liberty. Tales from the Tower. As your media director, it is my privilege to inform you that the following stories will contain content some listeners will certainly find disturbing. But first, we here at Tower 4 have a few brief but special announcements. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geo-engineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. We begin by informing you that Season 1 of Tales from the Tower is reaching its conclusion. With just one more story remaining, after tonight's tale of course, we're going to begin our much-needed mid-season break. Originally, Tales from the Tower was only planned and written out to be three episodic stories worth of content. However, receiving positive feedback from so many of you, and also with the arrival of a number of story submissions from our beloved listeners, the broadcasts have continued well beyond their intended timeline. Thank you all for making this production possible. Speaking of which, tonight's story, Heavy Heart, was written by a dedicated listener and guest author, Sean Francis, and is read for us by both Sean Francis himself and special guest Lonnie Manella. So, what is the story behind this story? Apparently, Citizen Francis, working in Data Archival, came across a series of old audio logs while doing a final scrub on some old data pads. Since these logs, being literally hundreds of years old, no longer qualify for informational security, we see no problem in presenting them here. So let us share in the discoveries of our ancestors and learn what it was like to work in the mining subdivision in the year 172. Log, the 27th day of the 7th month, year 172, 1537. It's taken us more than long enough to get down here, but production is finally on schedule. All of my crew know how important our mission is to the colony. 
but with the constant construction on the surface in an effort to improve the lot of Reeves favored, a scarcity of neodymium or metal is the last thing Atreus needs. As such, everyone's taken to the work pretty enthusiastically, in spite of the muggy air and the constant midsummer heat. Lysinia has even been staying for an extra hour or two after each shift, bringing her compatriots extra metal and water and assisting with cleanup. She's an upstanding citizen. At this rate, I expect we'll be finished a few days ahead of schedule. I know my family will be grateful for the extra time I'll be home before my next assignment, and I'm sure the other's loved ones will feel the same. Just a matter of keeping up productivity. The 29th day of the 7th month, year 172, 421. I woke up in the middle of the night to a crashing noise. Apprehensive at the thought of one of my comrades being stuck beneath a boulder or a piece of broken machinery, I rushed out of my quarters half-dressed to see what could possibly have happened. Fortunately, no one was hurt, but it looks like part of the shaft has collapsed. There's rocks and debris everywhere, and the passageway is blocked up pretty solidly from floor to ceiling. I've got Antonia and Gallus searching for another way out of the mine, and I've given everyone else a half-day's break to boost morale, but things are looking grim. We may very well be stuck down here until a surface team is able to clear the obstruction or drill another entrance. Either way, that could take weeks at best and months at worst. Thank Reeve we came down here with a surplus of supplies. The others may have complained about the extra weight at the time, but if I've learned anything after a decade in the tunnels, it's that you can never, ever be too prepared. The 29th day of the 7th month, year 172. 1222. Gallus and Antonia have returned. No luck. All the other passageways either terminate before reaching the surface or simply go deeper. I've suspended our operations indefinitely in an effort to conserve the strength of my crew. We may need it if the rescue team requires our assistance. Attempts to contact the surface via both privacy hood and other longer-range communication methods haven't been successful. There appears to be some sort of interference that's blocking our signal. Each time we send out a distress call, we get back this odd, groaning static. If I didn't know better, I'd almost say it sounded like the call of some sort of creature. Fortunately, the only creatures I'm aware of are those damned separatists, and they're a ways off from where we're digging. The 31st day of the 7th month, year 172, 1730. I'm beginning to worry about Gallus. He's always been very strong and sharp-minded in spite of his age. I've never had occasion to ask, though I've always suspected he's pushing 60. But in spite of that, it looks like he's the first to be cracking under the pressure. It's only been a few days since the cave-in, and yet he's already more despondent than anyone else in the crew. He's taken to eating by himself and sleeping away from everyone else, and his attempts to assist with the day-to-day -day maintenance of our makeshift camp are anemic at best. I suppose as foreman that it's my duty to try to help return him to his senses. Perhaps I'll have a talk with him after dinner and see if there's something on his mind. Besides the obvious. The 31st day of the 7th month, year 172, 1802, Gallus has gone missing. No one seems to have seen him leave. At first I thought he might have headed back to the entryway to try to clear out some of the blockage, but there was no one there when I checked and the rubble looks undisturbed. Antonio's upset. She blames herself for the foul mood Gallus has been in. Evidently, they split up over the course of their search, and he'd changed by the time they next saw one another. She's concerned that he stumbled upon something that disturbed him, perhaps the corpse or the forgotten tools of a long-lost miner. Lysinia and I have been doing our best to console her, but to no avail so far. 
As hesitant as I am to organize a search for Gallus, the more we exert ourselves, the more quickly we'll burn through our meal. I'm more concerned that leaving him to his fate will cause morale to plummet to a low from which we'll be unable to recover. We split up into small groups and are presently giving the dig site a thorough looking over for any sign of our absent compatriot. I just hope it isn't too late. The first day of the eighth month, year 172-115. I can barely hold the recorder steady enough to log this entry. Something horrible has happened. I finally discovered Gallus no more than an hour ago. It turns out the reason for his recent distance from his comrades was that he'd been hoarding away supplies and objects from camp at the end of a mile's deep shaft. He'd been listening to us with his privacy hood and sneaking into camp when he knew we were all asleep, or so he said. Mine still doesn't seem to want to transmit any audio at all. As if this betrayal wasn't infuriating enough, he quickly graduated from selfishness to blasphemy when I confronted him about what he'd done. He insisted that Reeve has abandoned us to our fate and that she doesn't care about the plight of those like us, miners and other manual laborers. He began to rant about what he termed the lunacy of breaking our backs for the greater benefit of the colony. He told me that I didn't care what I did to him, that he was simply taking steps to ensure that he at least would survive the cave-in and make it back to the surface. By the end of his rant, his face was flushed, his eyes bulging. He was staring at me as if I was the source of all his troubles. He attacked me. Past his prime or not, I've never encountered a man with Gallus's raw strength. His hand seized my neck like a vise. Spittle splashed against my face as he began ranting and screaming in what sounded like a different language entirely. He tackled me to the ground, intent on choking the life out of me, bashing my head against the rocks. I groped for any possible weapon to drive Gallus away, a sharp stone, a discarded tool, anything, but nothing was in reach. I had fully resigned myself to the prospect of passing on when I felt Gallus's grip slacken. It was Antonia. She'd followed me out of concern for her friend, and now she'd killed him. Her hand drill still whirred as it sank deeper and deeper into Gallus' skull, and to my great revulsion, I could feel blood and brain matter splattering against my forehead. I managed to push Gallus to the side, sat up, and then collapsed from sheer exhaustion, taking deep, wheezing breaths, wanting so badly to console Antonia, who I could hear sobbing next to me, but simply unable to speak in my condition. Antonia managed to lead me back to camp in spite of her grief. I've since showered and had some time to recuperate. It looks like everyone else is asleep as of now, and I have no idea what I'll tell them when I wake up. I expect that the telltale bruises on my neck will do much of the talking for me. The first day of the eighth month, year 172, 1032. The other miners took the news of Gallus's passing more poorly than I could have feared. There was something of a riot. Supplies stolen, equipment destroyed. The prevailing thought seems to be that Antonia and I killed Gallus in cold blood because he discovered some secret tryst we were supposed to be having, which is utterly ridiculous. I have a spouse and children on the surface to whom I'm very loyal. Most everyone else has departed to set up camp elsewhere and under new leadership. Lysinia and Antonia have stayed behind, though in the case of the latter, she's justifiably racked with enough grief and guilt that she is more or less just another mouth to feed. There should be just enough meal and fresh water left to last us a few more weeks if we ration it very carefully. I can only hope that a rescue team will find us before then. 
The third day of the eighth month, year 172, 1854. It's been days since Gallus died, and Antonia hasn't shown any sign of recovering. If anything, she's gotten worse. She's taken to going everywhere with her privacy hood in place. When I asked why, she said she was adjusting to the fact that she'd never hear his voice via the hood again. If her hood is acting up like mine has been, all she's been hearing is the same odd, moaning sort of static that's been broadcasting since the cave-in. Listening to that all day would just about cause me to lose my sanity, but I suppose that in her current mental state, it must not be bothering her all that much. Thank the Archon Lysinia is doing all right. If we... no, when we get out of here, I'm giving her a vacation. She's been keeping an inventory of our remaining supplies by hand, since much of our technology seems to be malfunctioning, and frankly, she's been doing a better job of taking care of Antonia than I have. At least Lysinia can get her to eat. I thought I heard some scratching coming from behind one of the walls earlier today. Assuming that it must have been one of our rescuers, I banged against the wall and then shouted out our location, but the noise stopped soon after. Maybe it was just the shifting of sediment, or perhaps into the cave-in. I've been a little depressed ever since. The third day of the eighth month, year 172, 3148. A few hours ago, I was once again awoken by a loud noise, one that sounded less like another cave-in and more like some sort of scuffling or struggling. At the center of camp, I discovered that Lysinia had been attacked. She's fine, fortunately, aside from a black eye and a rather nasty cut on her cheek that'll require some stitches. What's more disturbing is that it was Antonia who attacked her. Lysinia said that she could hear some strange noises coming from Antonia's tent, grunting, keening, and mumbling in some sort of nonsense language. Thinking that Antonia might have been having a nightmare about Gallus, Lysinia opened the tent, planning to wake her friend up, only to discover that Antonia was already awake privacy hood on, speaking to someone, or something. What's more, Antonia was using her hand drill, the same one that ended Gallus's life, to bore a hole into the ground, the dirt and debris from her digging scattered on either side of her. As soon as Antonia realized that she was being observed, she moved to attack. Not with the drill, thank the Archon. At first, caught off guard as she was, Lysinia found herself unable to react as Antonia clawed and punched at her face, but she eventually managed to force Antonia off of her, at which point her assailant tore off down one of the tunnels. Since then, I've patched Lysinia up as best I could. I'm no doctor, but I've picked a few things up thanks to the nature of my profession. We both investigated Antonia's tent and the hole she was drilling, but couldn't find any clues as to what drove her to sudden madness. Lysinia wanted to go searching for Antonia, but I've managed to dissuade her. We simply don't have the manpower to mount an effective rescue operation, and even if we did find her, she's clearly beyond reason at this point. We've decided to take shifts watching out for Antonia, in case she comes back with harmful intent. Lysinia's sleeping now. I'll let her rest for a bit longer than we agreed upon, as she's been through a lot. After that, I'm sure we'll settle into regular shifts. The fourth day of the eighth month, year 172, 659. I'm supposed to be sleeping now, but that scratching is starting to drive me mad. I don't know how Lysinia can possibly stand it. It sounds as if someone's scraping the damn walls with a shovel. Perhaps our operation has disturbed some ancient underground colony, or maybe some new form of life. I have no fucking idea. But if it doesn't stop soon, I might just pull in Antonia and start drilling through the walls until I find the source. 
please come for us soon. Someone. Anyone. I want to go home. Home. I want to go home. Oh. Maybe Gallus was right. Maybe. No. I'll not allow myself to be tainted by his heresy. Reeve cares. The Archon wants us home. I'm sure it will happen if we're patient. The fourth day of the eighth month, year 172, 833. I woke Lysenia up to ask if she could hear the noise. She said no. I'm beginning to doubt my own sanity. As a precautionary measure, I intend to barricade myself in one of the shallower tunnels using a few rebar slabs we found in the cave in debris. Lysenia will be taking over these log entries after this one. If this is the last you hear from me, I hope that my words will be useful in determining what's happening down here. May the Archon watch over us all. The Cinea's Log, the fifth day of the eighth month, year 172, 900 hours. I hope it isn't necessary to keep Foreman Lucius secluded for too long. I've been doing my best to interact with him, particularly when it's mealtime. But he seems to have ventured further and further from lucidity each time we chat. It's awfully lonely to be in camp by myself. In spite of the way they left us, I often find myself missing the rest of the crew. I wonder where they've gone and how they're doing. These tunnels are so vast and winding that, for all I know, they could be miles away. Maybe they found an escape route we overlooked. Pity I can't leave camp without risking that they'll return and take more of our supplies. I'm sure that there are others who are looking for us. Are they close now? I've tried to stay positive, especially around the others, but I'm starting to really worry. Couldn't they have contacted us in some way by now? Why aren't our communications devices working? I apologize. I know this is supposed to be a log of our operation and pouring my worries into it like this is very unprofessional. But these are extraordinary circumstances. It's useless talking to Lucius now. Even when he's lucid, he's so despondent. I'm sure we only have to hold out for a little while longer. I just hope Lucius is able to get some help before he winds up like the others. The fifth day of the eighth month, year 172, 1809. I can't believe it. I'm such an idiot. I thought I'd just close my eyes for a second and rest, and by the time I woke up, Lucius had escaped his makeshift prison. I had no idea he was so strong. It looks as if he tore through the rebar with his hands and teeth. I checked the supplies, and he didn't take anything with him except his hand drill and his privacy hood. All the same, what do I do now? How can I possibly get him back when I don't know where he's gone or how dangerous he is? I saw those marks on his neck. I know what Gallus tried to do to him. What if he tries doing the same thing to me? There's no point in just waiting around. Sleeping is just an invitation for either Lucius or Antonia to catch me off guard. I have to find him. To try and bring him back to sanity. Or I'm doomed. The fifth day of the eighth month, year 172, 2801. I found Antonia, and Lucius, and the other campers. They're all dead. 
I'm only writing this to get it all out of my mind, to keep myself from vomiting or having some sort of fit. I have to empty my mind of it so I can keep going. Okay. I decided to leave camp to search for Lucius. He left behind a trail of heavy boot prints for me to follow, so it wasn't very hard. It was about 10 minutes into the search that I discovered the first corpse, one of the miners, his neck broken, his body strewn across the ground like a discarded doll. That alone made me want to return to the relative safety of camp, but I pressed on. Like I said earlier, leaving Lucius and Antonia to their own devices could potentially have been the same as suicide. I found two more bodies before finally coming across the other camp. Everyone had been killed. Most by hand, some by drill. Supplies had been left untouched. I can't get the images out of my mind. So much death. Why is this happening? They were all upstanding citizens, driven to the brink by extraordinary circumstances. What did they do to deserve a fate like this? Lucius wasn't far beyond the camp. I found him just as he finished murdering Antonia. He'd smashed her head against the ground, just as Gallus tried to do to him. I begged and pleaded with him for a brief moment, but he had already started toward me, his privacy hood on and set to opaque, his expression inscrutable. I didn't have the courage to try to end his life before he could end mine, so I just turned and ran as quickly as I could, stumbling over the bodies of decent men and women that he'd senselessly slain. The other camp was large enough that once I reached it again, I decided that it was the place where I had the best chance at losing Lucius. I ducked behind a piece of heavy machinery and waited, doing my best to quiet my breathing, even as my lungs burned for air. I didn't notice the loose power cords a few feet away until it was too late. Lucius, close behind me, stepped on them and just fried. I can't think of a more apt way to describe what happened to his body. Even though everyone's gone, so at least there's no one left who can try to kill me, I'm still worried. Lucius and Antonia started to change after they saw Gallus die. Now I've seen Lucius die. Does that mean I'm next? Am I doomed to insanity, just like them? The sixth day of the eighth month, year 172. 220. I fear that the worst has come to pass. I must be going mad. How else can I explain that I've started to hear odd noises, like Lucius? I've been waking up at night to this strange groaning sound, much like the interference we're getting on our audio equipment, along with this odd clicking noise like nails on the rocks. It always stops right when I sit up. So most recently, I just laid there waiting, and it got louder louder until I finally screamed and ran from my tent and then it was gone I think I'm hallucinating too I checked where I heard the noise coming from after I woke up and I saw these odd little impressions in the dirt it almost looks as if something with numerous limbs maybe the size of a cart was roaming around the camp last night since nothing like that exists I must be seeing things and yet the tracks seemed as real as the nose on my face. Is this how convincing Lucius's hallucinations were? I can't imagine going back to sleep now. Will my insomnia accelerate my madness? 
The sixth day of the eighth month, 403. Even though it feels like I'm just appeasing my oncoming insanity, I've set a trap for that thing that keeps coming to camp. No, Lucinia, the thing you think is coming to camp. Anyway, it's just a simple thing. Just a stick propping up a large rock near my tent. But if this creature has any basis in reality, it should do the trick. The sixth day of the eighth month of the year 172, 550. It's real. I must have dozed off again shortly after my previous entry because I woke up to the sound of the rock slamming down onto the dirt. I scrambled out of my tent as quickly as I could and I saw it, some kind of multi-legged monster. Its tough hide smooth like obsidian, its mandibles clacking uselessly together as it lay dying beneath the stone that had crushed its thorax. Attached to its abdomen is some sort of long tube with fluid and ichor leaking out. What the fuck is this thing? If it were to tuck in its legs, it would look like nothing more than an especially shiny rock. Are there more of them? Is this what's been driving everyone crazy? I've sealed off the entryway into the other camp as a precaution. I've also burned the carcass of the thing. I hope it's enough. The 10th day of the eighth month, year 172, 1407. I'm writing this from a hospital bed to thank Reeve. A team finally arrived to rescue me shortly after I killed that creature. I was concerned at first that I'd suffer consequences for what happened in the mine, but a very nice man with official identification came to my room yesterday and told me that I'm to be commended and offered a lifetime supply of meal and new accommodations, so long as I never speak of what happened down there to anyone. I don't like the idea of the past few weeks' events being hidden away but I think I'm going to accept his offer. I saw in Lucius's log that he wanted to give me a vacation when we all escaped, and I guess that, in a way, he has. I had a nightmare last night. I dreamed that I was back in the mine. I kept running and running and running, but I could hear them all chasing after me, Lucius, Antonia, and Gallus, and all the other miners. I could hear a scratching and clicking, too, and when I turned my head to look, I saw thousands of those strange monsters in the tunnel behind me, gaining on me and gaining on me. When I woke up, I thought for a moment that I had a bite on my neck, but I looked at myself in the mirror and didn't see anything. Perhaps it's best if I do forget all about what happened. Archon, protect me. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Podcast. Episode 9 of Tales from the Tower, Heavy Heart, was written by Sean Francis and was read for us by Sean Francis and Lonnie Manella. The music and sounds were designed by Careless Juja, and the introduction theme was performed by Brandon Strader. If you would like more information about the world of Atreus, please check out libertyendures.com. To support the Liberty Podcast, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash libertypodcast. Liberty is a Fool and Scholar production, and this episode is trademarked by John Dossinger Publishing 2016. Thank you for listening, and may the Archon watch over you.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.